0: Welcome to The Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to.
1: Here you'll find clinicians and researchers discussing cutting-edge research from the embodied relational sciences explaining why and how people work together to find healing. Hey, welcome back to another week of The Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have have to. to. With the parenthetical, parenthetical... We want you to you can if you want we hope you join
0: us yeah we always we really invitation.
1: do always an invitation open definitely not obligatory but that'd be cool
0: it would be awesome yeah
1: we've noted our i think this might be the first time we we will note this but, yes correct um there have been some people who have reached out with emails they're reading along we're super stoked on it yes um it's so fun to we spent all of lunch today talking about an email that we received and processing through it and yep and talking with that person and that just makes me so excited that
0: to me is like the whole goal of this yeah.
1: podcast really. Yes. Yeah. yeah yeah and to live on as like an
0: archive of our thought
1: just together
0: yeah like that's where we were what we were thinking yeah. how we were thinking that's
1: super beautiful yeah for the future right for now like that's just, engagement with the community yeah. building. it's just here it's such a driving factor of what we do so mm-hmm. if you are reading reach out if you have questions reach, reach out. out if you have never listened to an episode and you would just listen to this intro reach out reach out <laughs> we would love to talk please talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah does this sound desperate <laughs> please someone out there no, I'm Just kidding. we're just lonely people reading research <laughs> articles i don't know sometimes it feels like that sometimes uh we we did used to the only uh, ones in this building right now which is pretty crazy it's a tuesday it's a tuesday and we're the only ones here i was gonna say we're pretty comfortable like only conversing this this we're dismissive this sounds kind of morbid but we're the only people converse we're the we're probably most comfortable out of anyone at beyond talking with dead people yeah because we truth. just read a bunch of people who have passed away. We read their works. and We talk about it <laughs> with each other. Yeah, that's really the start of our relationship. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't we, mean that we don't. Kirti guard
0: which yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace. But they're alive still. Yes, not really, but yeah. they are.
1: Yes. Yeah, they are for sure. The words carry the ancestral voices. That's right.
0: We talk anyway, about that, but okay. <laughs>
1: We've talked about that before. Yeah. And we probably will talk about it again somewhere. Yes. Um, Speaking of voices talking about things that are important, today we're going to continue kind of our path and our our journey around evidence-based therapies, what they are, um, some of the misconceptions, conceptions, some of the pros, the cons, Mm -hmm. um, even like where we are culturally in our posture to EBTs, Yeah. um, some having a disdain for them, some really clinging to them and Mm -hmm. just kind of trying to get to the bottom of like, what is an evidence-based therapy? Yeah. And what do we really mean by that?
0: Yeah. And we talked about in our last episode, um, we reviewed an article by Berg from 2019 um, looking at how as evidence-based practices and the process by which they are recognized, validated, you know, et cetera, um, that perhaps that may be philosophically skewed and mm. thus whatever it validates may also bear that skewness. Mm-hmm. Um, in this episode, we're gonna be talking uh, like along those lines, but I think if, I, if, I, if my internal representation of us is accurate, I think we will probably spin up on the philosophy of how do you know what you know mm. and how does that then get translated into standardizing practice. You know, yeah. the, the title of this episode is, should EBT be standardized? And that is a loaded question, kind of provocative, which is our style yes. a bit in this, Yeah, um, that what you see on the surface may not be what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we think of that phrase, we're going to be reviewing an article by Michael Jackson, uh, not uh, the singer Michael Jackson.
1: <laughs> that was the, I didn't even that was notice just a his first name was Michael. That's yeah. amazing.
0: Which is just a cue in my head. Um, yeah. But uh, Jackson, 2017 publication in the uh, American Psychological Association um, titled Unified Clinical Science or Paradigm Diversity. And it's a comment on a publication from Melkert in 2016. So one of the reasons that... Um, I chose this article is that comments are published in journals as well uh, when they're formally submitted as a reference to a preceding publication. Mm. Uh, a lot of people don't know that because they're not you know in the world of publishing and thinking through how a journal is put together. But sometimes, uh, as is the case with this article, a previous publication is uh, kind of, you know put out there, and makes claims of a existing literature base especially when it's a conceptual piece that kind of proposes new ideas that then kind of implore the field forward but that that imploring is subject to comment and sometimes Mm. criticism which is jackson kind of giving some commentary on melkert uh, which we'll talk about what they what they said um, because it is really important if melkert's publication went on Addressed mm-hmm. because some of the implications of that were how EBTs or practices in general should be, uh, you know, ex- accepted and celebrated, and how we should also not do other ones.
1: Yeah, which is a callback to earlier in the season when we have made pretty clear our posture towards research and a way of conceptualizing the field of research and science inquiry is that it is a story. Yes, with many persons and characters like writing in pieces and then even talking about the pieces that other people are writing in yes so then this being a good example of a, a moment in which melkert wrote a piece into the story of science mm-hmm. and that somebody else said wait a sec hold on before we build off of that yeah let's let's make sure we're really thinking about the implications
0: and considering these other
1: yeah. things which is adding to the story in a beautiful way. So much context. It's not to say that Melkert shouldn't have written his part of the story. Mm. It's that we need to be sure that we're like organizing the information in a certain way. We still need Melkert's perspective, if even to kind of contrast off of. Yes. That's still a beautiful part of the story. And As think- a
0: sounding board to say, okay, here's one synthesis. Mm-hmm. And so what do we think of that? Because yeah. Melkert themselves were... Uh, drawing on earlier thought Mm -hmm. in the field as well, referencing uh, Kuhn, uh, which is a publication from 1970, which talked about how science as a a philosophical paradigm should advance. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So that's sort of the storyline we're building here is that there have been authors that have been commenting on as new science comes out, what are we to do with the existing models and Mm -hmm. the pre-existing models? Mm -hmm. Do we just start to synthesize all of them together? Should we consider them as individual perspectives of the same picture or should we start to recycle and maybe phase out earlier ways of thinking uh, in science's evolution. Melkert then took that and said, you know, we need to be uh, actually phasing out old ways of thinking if these new ways seem to uh, integrate principles discovered, the good parts of the pre-existing theories, and also more accurately Define some of the vague or perhaps even now scientifically invalid elements of those older theories. Mm-hmm. That's what then Jackson is commenting on.
1: Yeah, Jackson has a quarrel with kind of the main summary thesis of Melkert's work is that new, newly formulated experimental knowledge should replace outdated non experimental approaches mm-hmm. to psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like, just that statement alone, like, I think. If we took a, a cultural pulse of uh, the way, like the layperson, and even like the the profession in general, like the average um, professional, is probably going to say, like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. like it. There, and this is kind of the quarrel we're coming up against, or kind of the wall we're seeking to say, like, does this really need to be here? Is science the only way to explain and to inquire into the? ways of knowing and experiencing in therapy or in psychology um yeah and and um jackson seems to say okay like yes melkert but also like wildly off yes yeah
0: and the idea we've been building on in uh, previous recordings or previous um, episodes is that we put so much stock in the experimental design and think that it is our most accurate way of actually observing an interaction effect between two variables that Mm -hmm. here's a baseline of their depressive symptoms over eight weeks. We then implement treatment and measure throughout. And then we have a cessation of the treatment. We stop Mm -hmm. the intervention and then we measure for eight weeks again to see then more clearly the effect of the intervention on treating depression. That's a basic experimental design. Um, essentially Melkert is saying that those are the studies that we need to be valuing more highly
1: mm-hmm. in
0: how we're considering what is actually science-based and to phase out these non-experimental designs that are maybe looking at qualitative inquiry, uh, which Jackson is a qualitative uh, theorist, which is important to note, Melkert mm-hmm. is not. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing also a meta-narrative clash here mm-hmm. between quantitative modes of inquiry and qualitative modes mm-hmm. of inquiry. Uh, so that's something we could talk about as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious. Um, even in some of the language, um, Melkert or Jackson kind of references Melkert's work, uh, this 2016 article, and talks about that the the ways of current analysis that can't be discussed in detail mm-hmm. are now giving way to uh, the word is fully and unproblem problematically reducible to lower order aka to naturally scientific explanations Mm -hmm. um unproblematically yes um higher order
0: psychological phenomena are now fully and unproblematically reducible to lower order ones and peripassu to natural scientific explanation yeah so as we start to get better at science essentially we're now knowing more clearly what is the real what mm -hmm. is the truth and so we should value those n- new methods more than mm-hmm. more outdated, quote unquote.
1: Yeah, um, which methods. is, yeah, a more philosophical mm-hmm. posturing yeah. um, towards the field. I'd be curious, um, based on kind of the scientists you've read mm-hmm. and all of the wide ranging, what are some of like the the voices of authors you know? What, what do you think their response would be to that?
0: Well, I think that the spectrum Uh, And this is just my own kind of bias coming through, but I really do think that the spectrum between quantitative modes and qualitative modes uh, presents the battleground on which this argument could be fought. Mm. Uh, And I think that's really what's informing some of this energy. Mm -hmm. Because Melkert, as a quantitative theorist, is coming forward saying what you would expect that person to say, which is that our modes are more evidence-based and scientifically... yes. Scientifically reliable than qualitative modes of inquiry because of how narrow their focus is, mm. undervaluing then the depth of that discovery. Um, but in that, um, if you look at any any discussion on is quanti- is qualitative research, uh, you know empirically viable, you're going to get an introduction into the history of qualitative methods every single time like they're still trying to carry and convince the quantitative field that their method of inquiry is it is on the same level yeah exactly like they're still having to you know just like we joke about pongsep every single time he wrote he had to talk about how hey to study animals is still transducible to studying humans yeah and it's actually important that we do so
1: yeah
0: same way any qualitative book that's going to come out on its methodology has to spend time talking about the history. No quantitative book in the past like 30 years is working in that way. Yeah. Um, that's a generalization. I'm sure there are books out there. But yeah. really, there's not that burden of justification proof. or proof on the quantitative as there is the qualitative. So in talking this way, I can almost feel Jackson getting into the that same mentality that, hey, these modes are are parallel in their ability to mm. observe phenomena and thus communicate it in an intelligible way that then lets us make informed decisions about treatment and yeah. the process of, of the treatment plan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to pin that. I, one of the things that one of, when I asked that question, I was thinking of all the, the scientists, like even as we'll look to like um, Porges and some other uh-huh. like authors who are saying like, we don't, even like the most biologically grounded inquiries that are quantitatively like, bam. Like, yeah, here it this is. is This is just matter. Yeah. Um, interacting with matter. There's still so much enigma to mm-hmm. it. Like so much unknowing. And to say that it's fully and unproblematically unproblematic, accounting for these psychological yes. phenomena feels like I have a lot of like virtual others Showing that up. are like these... Like high level scientific, inquirers. I think concept is
0: that same way. Like yeah, in like very detailed animal studies, is still pointing to what they now don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. He's st- still saying we have no idea. Well, he was still saying, yeah, we have no idea, like how an affect comes to be. Yes, we have no idea. We just know, like, if you which instigate is a, a stem- seminal affective neuroscience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So,
0: to, for that person to say, we still have no idea. Yeah.
1: Not fully, not unproblematically. Yes. There's always a problem. Right. Otherwise, we wouldn't need science.
0: Right, exactly.
1: I do want to say, though, back to your kind of quantitative versus qualitative, I think that feels like a good maybe step into some of the uh, other language that um, Melkert is using from Thomas Kuhn, Mm -hmm. this theories and paradigms language. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe even talking about how the qualitative and the quantitative are two paradigms mm-hmm. um, with their own theories and inside. commitments. Yeah. Yeah. Commitments um, that paradigms and theories are not the same thing. Right. Um, Despite the ambiguity at times in yeah. what you're
0: really referencing, I think, and it, if it feels like I'm getting too like uh, high level, please like bring it back down. But mm-hmm. for me, I always kind of approach something like how did this thought, come about like why is this epoch of thought here Mm. um in looking at that the field has kind of clearly defined um waves of psychotherapy which are accompanied by their methods of inquiry like there's a funny relationship between these waves and then science that seems to validate its existence and then maybe like prove it quote unquote like why it should be there yes um which proof should never be a word used by a researcher Mm. um that's 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 assuming that what is seen is absolutely true which which in our perspective which again i think is a philosophical commitment that's not real Mm. you will never know yeah we will never
1: know you will be supported by current existing data
0: or perhaps not supported which isn't to mean you're not like valid in what you're seeing and Mm -hmm. it, it may not be real but that something is happening that made it more particular in this case than it might in another where it wasn't replicated and thus quote unquote not supported. Right. Um but I think we're pretty upfront about our social constructionist perspective on mm-hmm. ontology and yes. philosophy. Yeah. So that is there. But in looking at these waves of psychotherapy that emerged, there are then, so if that's the highest level waves, there are then paradigms within those waves. Within that, there are then theories. Within that, there are then interventions. Mm -hmm. Within that, there are then modes of inquiry. So at each level, I think you see kind of the, the, I'm thinking of like Russian dolls, like Mm -hmm. each wave has its own set of paradigms, which has its own set of theories, which has its own set of interventions, which have their own set of inquiry. Um, Quantitative qualitative methodology, I think, can be like the desk that the Russian doll is sitting on. But um, in that understanding the order of things, and thus, what Jackson says is we have to also look at their exemplars, like who is the one talking about justifying the wave and the paradigm and the theory and the intervention and the mode of inquiry. Like we have to look at the exemplars at each level.
1: Yeah. When, is this I, making sense? Yes. Way, okay. yeah, yeah. I I had never um, I never heard the or read the phrase or the term exemplar as attached to the um mode of inquiry for these paradigms but i like that he was um uh jackson was talking about um that the primary some of the primary exemplars would be like um for like a cognitive behavioral would be like the evidence or the um random control trials yeah um and uh, like for the more um psychoanalytic inquiry Mm -hmm. or wave that has its own paradigm yeah their exemplars would be case studies yes like they have their own modes of inquiry that That illustrate and justify yeah and i i I like that like this is the exemplar of why we yeah yeah
0: which that's really where i feel war is waged Mm -hmm. on no the case study methodology is not sufficient to to deduce scientific reality Mm. like it's too myopic You need what we believe in the quantitative method so often is large sample sizes. If you get more people and you observe the same effect, you more uh, confidently can
1: support the interaction effect that you observe. More universal principle can be tapped into.
0: Right. Rather than a 50-year single case study on the subject's relationship with depression and long-term relational psychoanalysis, That there's so many intervening variables there's way too much going on in the quantitative mind Mm -hmm. to which i want to maybe get into left brain right brain again but i really think that that you know that is too much context for the left brain to make sense of Mm. so it says just it's gotta collapse it yeah at the gate it says too much you don't know like i can't reduce that down into measurable equations and deduce a certain Uh, synthesis out of it Mm -hmm. so we need to break it down let's get it into more so like 16 or 24 week observation periods and then we can more confidently know Mm -hmm. that what we're seeing is actually happening because of our intervention not because of some random life event that might have changed that
1: yeah I certainly think we could play around with the right left and and I'd love to spin up on that yeah Uh, I think my because my gut goes to like the ways like it's it's we're not just talking about a a, um, a line with two points at either side where the left is just influencing the right and it stops or the right is just influencing the left and it stops. It's a circle. Yes. It's a flow of energy both. and information that reciprocally goes back to influence the way that one or the other right or left are re re um, organizing information. Yes, and I think like if you think of. You know, something like the behavioral movement or the cognitive behavioral, which is very oriented towards this random control trial. Mm -hmm. Let's get large amounts of data, but find these particularities that are universal across the averages. Um, That then reorganizes Mm -hmm. how we then experience the complexity of humans. And, And I think that's like one of the felt senses I get from jackson as a more qualitative researcher is that he is looking at like if you if you follow that to its end you essentially get dehumanized psychological subjects Mm. or or objects objects at that point Um, yeah that you you would be kind of collapsing all of the nuances down too much um, and that that mode of inquiry would that is just purely scientific would be like that would be um, worm. Sometimes we talk about the hemispheres and the metaphor of King Theoden and worm tongue from and, Lord of the Rings. From Lord of the Rings and great um, image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that this is kind of the same thing. Where like if if worm tongue, the left hemisphere is like over particular, mm-hmm. then it weakens like the physical power of the right hemisphere, King Theoden. Um, to the point where then you have like crippled subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like the reverse is true. Where if King Theoden just went, was just a, a kind of rampant king with no emissary to communicate with the nations, then Rohan, the kingdom, mm-hmm. will fall because it's not in contact with other kingdoms. Like yes, when the kingdom was defending, I forget the name of the the city where they retreat to. Um, is it Minas Tirith? Yes. And they're alone. Yes. And it's like, there's no way they're going to, because King David in the right hemisphere isn't utilizing his communication to talk with other. And to can, reach out. For, to reach out through particular words, which yes. is what the emissary does. Yes. Um, yeah. Hmm. That was like, that felt like a very funny spin up for me because I didn't anticipate going into Lord of the Rings. But it's in reference there. to research... It it feels very right. The the only scientific paradigm hmm. creates dehumanized subjects. Yes. The only um, qualitative modes of inquiry create sort of chaotic bursts of information. Yep. Um, but doesn't doesn't synthesize and unite. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Does that feel like a, a like a a fair analysis?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that, again, the interaction between Jackson and Melkert is an important one to note. Um, I was just pulling up Melkert's article um, is from 2016. It's called Leaving Behind Our Pre-Paradigmatic Past Professional Psychology as a Unified Clinical Science. Um, and in that touting... The discoveries in neurobiology as what we should be focusing on pretty uh, um, centrally in unifying the paradigms. Like, mm. if it doesn't, if it doesn't prove this and and fall in line with what we're knowing more about from neurobiology, then we need to really think critically about it. If there are interventions that are developed in those ways of knowing and relating to each other, I think those are still fine. Mm -hmm. But they must be validated by neurobiological discovery.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And that's what... So Jackson in 2015 wrote an article um, called Resistance to Qualitative-Quantitative Parity. Why the paradigm discussion can't be avoided. So we have to have the paradigm discussion. Mm -hmm. Then melker comes along and says no we need to unify the paradigms around the neurobiological more evidence-based quote-unquote scientific discovery mm. so then jackson wrote it this in 2017 that said hey we need to actually keep discussing
1: mm. uh these these realities does does um does melker use when he's talking about these experimental approaches to psychology is he including neurobiology yeah Okay. Uh,
0: the, like in just the abstract of his of this article um the behavioral and neurosciences have made remarkable progress recently in advancing the scientific understanding of human psychology so basically going on to say that what we're discovering now has greater power because of the depth of our inquirative ability mm. so we need to value those more highly than mm. these weaker modalities that didn't have the depth potential
1: yeah okay yeah, that's that's such an interesting. I mean, it's a nice. I think it's a wish. Um, it, it's interesting. I I wonder how much we are maybe seen in that light as well.
0: Oh, well, same um, same more.
1: Well, I, I mean, I speak very highly of neuroscience.
0: As do I. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I wonder how often, because I would I would not go on to say that that is the only ground on which we ought to stand therapeutically and. Um, even like in just life science, like neurobiology is the, the end-all be-all. Um, I don't even like the fact that we even talk about polyvagal theory is right. like a testament to that because that's not neurobiology. That's like right. a somatic science. But right. um, I, I do wonder sometimes if maybe we're put in that camp of like, well, if it's not neurobiologically like sound. sound. then Or like uh, relatable.
0: You know, like if we can't find clear neurobiological correlates, yeah, then maybe we should think pretty critically of that
1: research. Yeah. Which, like... I think,
0: so, I, well, I'm curious to see where you're going with this. Because mm -hmm. to me, that is losing the forest for the trees. And I don't think you're... I'm not saying you're not making that connection, but I stand by that reality. If we can't validate it neurobiologically, we should think critically of it. However, I still think that the paradigmal perspective, talking about modes of inquiry and looking at these from a, again, hierarchical wave to paradigm, to theory, to intervention, to inquiry, is still essential. We can't just wipe that away and say neurobiology or bust. Mm -hmm. Right. Because there's things we don't know. Like Alan Shore talks about it consistently that despite these ever-evolving and more specializing modes of inquiry with imaging studies and all these things, Poncet talks this way as well. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. We're just measuring. We're just seeing a snapshot. And even if it's live image functional magnetic fMRIs, we still don't know.
1: Yeah. And even functional fMRIs, I did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah even if our MRIs are not the key no, nope. because they're missing a lot of deep brain activity, subcortical activation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think my, my wondering in that is like, um, I think it's very easy to villainize mm-hmm. or even um, create gods. Mm-hmm. Um, even like I'm thinking like in our implicit posture of, really prioritizing and i think we're a product of our time um prioritizing neuroscientific inquiries and taking a lot of value from that and i like like i would also be open to like that other paradigms are challenging and even like sharpening the neuroscientific community to further analyze things in specific ways i think Mm -hmm. like to go either or feels like creating and and this would be like me positing onto melker's work like i think that would be the difference between unified clinical science and uniform clinical clinical Mm -hmm. science like yes i i want unification of these sciences and arts like and different ways of knowing um i want them to be unified so that they can sharpen each other i don't want them to be uniform so that like everything has to be funneled through the sciences to mm-hmm. be scientocentric and to be, to be limiting of the complexity of the human phenomenological experience. Yes. Um, Cause even, even as we dive deeper into the brain body and we find more and more about these very particular biological, like parts of ourselves, we're still like dependent upon the emergent relationship that those parts have with other parts that give way to systems, that give ways to uh, like whole organizational patterns. And mm-hmm. Like it's, there's, it's so emergent that, yeah, you can't even say like everything should be shoved through behavioral and neuroscientific inquiry. Yeah.
0: Regardless of the power of the tool. Yeah. Like that's where Melkert really, I think gets so fixated is Melkert's talking about the power of new technology and how, why would we ever, um, resort to a less powerful mode of discovery Mm -hmm. when we have these more advanced and ever advancing. Like even in the past 20 years, we've seen major advances in some of the um, uh, uh, infrared uh, introspective technology. Mm -hmm. Um, That all is giving us so much more insight even into some of those deeper brain structure activities. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the point that, that Jackson is making is that It doesn't matter how specific and specialized and microscopic the tools become. We cannot divorce that from what we're discovering in the animation of it all. Mm -hmm. Like regardless of how minutely you can observe a neurotransmitter binding to a receptor and creating an effect that then goes on to create action potential across the system and a behavior comes out of it that doesn't mean that you understand where that first again back to ponk where that first affect came from
1: mm-hmm.
0: how did sensory stimuli actually
1: get turned into an affect we don't know yeah we have no idea we don't know yeah there's a in you saying that i'm i'm just sitting with a sensation in my body of like how necessary it is to hope in science mm-hmm and also how it, it's not god yes like it like we will learn so much to have hope and curiosity in mm. science mm. and in a unified scientific push mm-hmm. um and yet like it is a paradigm right and it it, it yes. is it is it in itself has sub paradigms which is another thing that jackson talks about yeah um and those have exemplars and those are competing paradigmatically and um i I just i feel like yeah let's hope in science i feel like that's what we're saying yeah let's hope in science but let's not like lose sight of deify it yes yes
0: yes it's limitations exactly and so i think that's a great transition a little bit back into the article and this is just a comment so it's two pages long um but i think it's providing a really powerful point sorry for all the alliterations providing a really powerful (laughs) point Of professional psychology, which is a five-word alliteration. The P in psychology is silent. I still get points for it on the Scrabble board, for sure. In drawing on Kuhn, which is a a theorist in the field of um, uh, historical psychology that is looking at how do we actually make sense of evolving modes of thought and in that deducing essentially that new paradigms should uh, be considered as uh, as including earlier thought and that we should work with the new thought uh, as building blocks for later inquiry. Melkert's then saying that, yeah, like I'm saying that too. And what, we're, what we want to do is that um, we want to build on that thought, but pair out these outdated modes of inquiry. Replace. Yeah, Replace. Um, those outdated modes of inquiry and the knowledge that came from them with the new, more scientifically validated modes of inquiry. Mm. And so Jackson's whole point in bringing Kuhn back into the story is that Kuhn made it clear that although paradigms include theories, they are not reducible to them, and that rather they are dynamic systems of concepts, exemplars, and practices that shape and are shaped by both theories and evidence. So this is, again, I think that siloing effect that we can see in people getting really excited about a new method of inquiry, and then forcing everything to go through that method, missing so much as the uh, number gets smaller and smaller, uh, mm-hmm. down into, I just want this one reaction to be observed. We miss yeah. so much.
1: Yeah. Which is the f- the fundamental like need in some of these, um quantitative mm-hmm. like ways of doing like a random control style or a random control trial mm-hmm. is that you're you're nixing um outliers so that you can focus primarily on as close of a congruent construct as you can to get some validity around like okay i don't want a lot of noise in the data so i don't want a lot of life experiences to come in and interrupt therapy i don't want and these are things that we've noted in previous podcasts and that other people have noted to us of like yeah it's fundamentally like limiting the noise which if you've ever lived there's a lot of noise in life yes and so to say like this is what we have to funnel everything through would be to miss a lot yes it's still important though it still has a paradigm and it is it still has exemplars and evidences behind it Mm -hmm. and and that's worth noting
0: right right and for us as researchers like to your point of i i wonder if people put us in that camp it's important for us then to be mindful of some of the predispositions that might point us to a more narrow view of the reality of things so that we can look back to what we left behind on the trail as we were chasing this one rabbit Mm -hmm. Um, because the chase is important the rabbit's important but also the path you're on is important the the area or region you're in is important like all of it's important
1: Mm -hmm.
0: i think the forest for the trees and the trees for the forest analogy is is really helpful there um, so in talking about Kuhn um, and some of, the, some of the assumptions that, that he made, he um, notes that Kuhn never concluded that psychology was pre-paradigmatic, which is back to Melkert of um, psychology may perhaps never be reducible to a single paradigm. So minding that what Kuhn was writing even had seem, seemingly like a self-knowledge that I'm not saying that we should abandon uh, this diversity of thought for one unified thought. Actually, I actually think we should stay away from that because in that we're missing out on so much diversity. Then Jackson notes that, um, in order to fully understand how certain psychological problems have come to be constructed in different and sometimes incommiserate ways, it is necessary to analyze not only the research paradigms by which they are studied, but also the exemplars underlying these paradigms as well as the goals knowledge types and applications that are associated with these exemplars. For example, studies of interventions with women who have experienced violence have produced different kinds of findings and have evaluated treatment strategies differently, depending on whether the research was governed by the paradigm of natural science and its primary exemplar, the controlled experiment, or the paradigm of qualitative case study uh, research and its primary exemplar, the collaborative contextualized dialogue. Mm. So, depending on those two modes of inquiry, again, quantitative or qualitative, what Jackson is noting is that with this one population, women who have experienced violence, uh, the fields and the paradigms say two different things, both about what the phenomenon actually is and feels like, what uh, treatments should be considered, uh, what other supports should be considered for that population, what the outcomes might be, and thus how we should inform future treatments. Mm-hmm. They say two different things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, when you were talking about Melkert's view um, and uh, kind of going on the fact that you've read that mm-hmm. article and mm-hmm. have a little bit more understanding of it, when he's saying unified clinical science, he's meaning because because I can't like I think I don't know maybe I read Dan Siegel too early and now everything's screwed up yeah. because it's <laughs> <laughs> I, like I've I just jumped like to level ten yeah um, but like is unified meaning like linked and differentiated and open to the complex like diversity or is unified meaning like uniform this one kind of because the way we're talking about it is Mm -hmm. it's like everything's being shoved into this Mm -hmm. quote unquote unified clinical science but it's the funnel loses the some of the complexity of these other right um so I think that's the central
0: point that Jackson is illustrating is that it's unclear what some of the implications okay, yeah, might yeah, yeah. be for yeah. Melkert's perspective, because in reading Melkert, it's not, it's not clear. He uses strong language sometimes, but then still makes makes space for these other modes of inquiry and their various methodologies and interventions make space for them to still be included and practiced. Yeah. But that it should be with hesitancy and care that we're looking at the neurobiology. Because mm-hmm. we may actually be doing things that aren't
1: effective. Hmm. Which, like, in that, yes. Right. But I'm, I'm for it. And, but I also like what Jackson points out, even as he's talking about the way Melkert wants to. Yes, this kind is of exactly get, where I wanted to go. Get this into the yeah. world. Right.
0: So, if that's the reality of things, if Melkert is saying that, totally, practice how you want, but note that there's evidence that would support that practice or a different practice and that you should pay attention to that from a neurobiological mode of inquiry. Um, but the way that Melkert proposes that this standardization or unification is created is what Jackson takes up in the issue. I think you're getting ready to mm-hmm. read.
1: Yeah, well, he, he talks about uh, Melkert proposed using accrediting and licensing authorities to force a paradigm change from the top down. Although he believes that existing clinical techniques would still be allowed, such a program would require clinicians and others to think differently about their interventions and to fit them into the findings and language of controlled laboratory research. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, but even that, like the controlled laboratory research, I would have been a little bit more open if, if not it named just did that. not name that. Yeah, but to to limit it into the controlled laboratory research is like utterly restrictive of our understanding of the it human. It objectifies the yeah. human. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have, like, think of how much noise you have to cut out to yep. put someone in a vacuum In a laboratory. vacuum. Yeah.
0: I mean, that that's the idea is you want a completely, like, dust-free environment, essentially, noise-free. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to observe exactly what you want to observe and know the effect that it had.
1: Yeah. But, the, I, I, I mean, I could be generous to Melkert, and if that wasn't, if controlled laboratory research maybe isn't, the kind of the main push that he's going for, and that's maybe Jackson's in position into Melkert's argument, Then I would be open for like, you know, a soft paradigm change that is more maybe top-down of like these licensing and governing boards are open to saying like, hey, we should shift the field's emphasis maybe a little bit to include more of the neurobiology. Like my, and some of these more like behavioral neuroscience oriented, like ways of understanding Mm -hmm. my brain goes to one of the comments that you told me about that you you were told about beyond your scope of practice when including neuroscientific understanding into yeah that i was accused of yeah 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 and and like in that way yeah i think we do need to shift that Mm -hmm. we need to be open to that paradigm yeah i don't think we need to swing all the way over to that paradigm
0: yeah when we can demonstrate the discipline that we have gone through to know more about the brain because that was the only way that i could shrug off that comment and actually like satisfy the weight of or the burden of proof that i knew enough to talk about these things was to talk about my resume (laughs) like to talk about my my education Mm -hmm. and then the comment was satisfied oh okay now i understand i just saw a counselor and i thought that you shouldn't be talking about the brain
1: Mm.
0: it wasn't until i gave my background which i also think that the first connection is (laughs) ridiculous i think counselors should talk about the brain for sure um learn more about it talk to each other talk to other people learn about it it's what we're dealing with yeah but in that section or in that example the only way that i was able to justify my right to talk about the brain in a scholarly way was to talk about my training in biopsychology and mm-hmm. all of these things
1: yeah. yeah 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 let's not be too restrictive <laughs> yeah come on yeah um
0: Trying to think, so uh, in that, um, sorry, I'm just catching up now, trying to get back into the article. Um, Yeah, okay, so you just read, I got you. So in that movement of kind of forcing uh, a paradigm change from the top down, um, Jackson notes that not only would this eliminate many forms of case study and qualitative naturalistic research, but it would also replace effective therapeutic formulations with context distant language distorting real world clinical phenomena subtly altering clinical practices and undermining the therapeutic process mm. so this is where i think the rubber meets the road of it again it doesn't matter how precisely you think you can observe a phenomenon in a, in a randomized control trial or the laboratory setting if you make if you make inductive then reasoning from that being that you observed that thing in the lab and then you said this is how practice should go you've lost touch because you don't know what the actual clinical encounter would do with that reaction that you mm-hmm. observed because you didn't observe it in the clinical encounter in the context yeah. you observed it in the lab
1: yeah. in the randomized controlled trial which mm-hmm. is not the real world so we need both yeah Context distant language distorting real world clinical phenomena. Yes. Yeah. My brain does go to the article around the um, scientocentric uh, models um, and how um, it is so divorced, like these random control trials are so divorced mm-hmm. from the dy- dynamics of the client's preference, culture, and the real world events that come into the therapeutic hour (laughs) or encounter um, that are so unplanned for (laughs) and and therefore disregarded in the clinical or in the um, random control trials because they're quote unquote noise in the data that that need to be singled out.
0: Right, so I wanna read this last little paragraph and then we can kind of spin up on some conversation and close out. Uh, In concluding, Jackson notes that there are many legitimate and challenging questions about how experience, theory, and scientific findings can be successfully integrated in professional practice, especially in an era when science is being widely and dangerously disparaged. But constraining professional practice with an unnecessarily narrow conception of science will do nothing to address these questions and will ultimately weaken rather than strengthen public confidence in psychology. How does that hit you?
1: I mean, that hits me beautifully i i I feel very resonant with that i think it feels strange to me like and and maybe i've just been i don't know maybe lucky in my experience of how um the scientific method and different things have been explained to me um these different ways of synthesizing information that we experience on a day-to-day and studying like the whys and the hows of that um But I think like I go back to that phrase, the controlled laboratory research Mm -hmm. and these controlled studies like are great, but they miss a lot. And I think you can apply a scientific orientation or posture and even like maybe a a paradigm to these like very complex parts of the world through something like a qualitative research inquiry or, or different modes of like qualitative research mm. that is open to that complexity. Mm-hmm. And that feels more like unified mm. in its diversity than it does uniform. Yeah. Um,
0: I have some like, I, I have some like internal experience um, of activation. Like I'm, I'm quick to take up, the sympathetic position towards qualitative research. Like just because from my worldview as a social constructionist, it is hard for me to hear a criticism of qualitative inquiry in favor of quantitative. Mm-hmm. Like if it's if it's an either or favoring quantitative, I have a real problem with that. Like I my defense has come up and I'm like, well, mm-hmm. hold on. Like, and I've yeah. done so many times talking about the importance of qualitative method. But one of the real... Um I think byproducts of this, like I would question any, like I would ask any counselor listening to this, did you have a and even for you, did you have a methodologies course in qualitative design? Oh, no way. No way. Yeah. Strange. Maybe. Because we deal in case studies every day.
1: Every day. Yeah.
0: That's strange.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. strange. Yeah. I think maybe a couple slides. Yeah, at the in, in the context introduction of, of the quantitative course. methodology course. Yeah, really. Like yeah. if you look at the method, yeah. there's another like way. There's of a way, doing it, but it's really like the
0: the posture that I've heard others talk about. it. It's like it's really lengthy and kind of like difficult to bracket your own experience from it because you're now changing the data. So like we just really don't do it, and you need more advanced training if you're going to do it.
1: Yeah, that's totally. like the
0: sign off to then say so you should do quantitative design.
1: Yeah. Right. Yep.
0: That's a problem.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with you. <laughs> that is a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I like that you point up the point out that we deal with case studies every day.
0: That's what therapy. And even thinking that's
1: what therapy is. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, and I, even thinking of like the fact that we emphasize case conceptualization and really in depth, organized and synthesizing case conceptualization as like almost a mode of like scientific inquiry yeah. into greater understanding, mitigating burnout mm-hmm. and more effective treatment.
0: Yeah, that if you if you had the confidence in the qualitative arc, perhaps you would be less worried about the what am i doing? I think one of the byproducts of the how highly favored the quantitative design is in our research methodology training as counselors is that we lose sight of what's really going on in the room. Hmm. My in, my intervention doesn't seem to be working. Oh, no. Like, what do I do? Well, if you had the qualitative posture, you would see that that's just another turn in the variable relationship. Yep. And what we need to do is make sense of what happened and how both subjects are now experiencing the relationship or their phenomenon under inquiry
1: yeah. and adjust the methodology. Yeah. Oh, we're just in a different study. Would yep. be the... The quantitative like response of yeah. that the qualitative can make that movement really easy. So fluidly. Yeah. Yes. Oh, this is a different in, in, impacting variable. Yeah. That so, oh, we're now, something new came yeah, up. Yeah. Something came up. Whereas the quanti- quantitative would be like, oh, different study.
0: Because this one is now thrown out yep. of the meta-analysis. Yeah. Like it, it went off track of the the design that yeah. we're looking for. We want to see a clean baseline, clean implementation and then a a new baseline or new measurement point. Mm -hmm. And because the treatment did not go as planned, there's probably a uh, clinician error. There was probably something wrong with how the clinician was introducing it or maybe something in the the subject's life uh, affected their ability to engage meaningfully with the treatment. So we need to throw that out Mm -hmm. of the pool of articles we're considering, the pool of case studies we're considering, the pool of studies we're considering.
1: Yeah, and you can really see why then diagnosis and then standardized treatments for these diagnoses are like of such great importance because if we're dealing in different studies then how do we categorize what study we're dealing with yes well we're dealing with a set of diagnoses so okay depression well what okay if someone starts to show a little bit more sympathetic energy and gets into more anxiousness okay well then i just switch studies which means i switch protocols which means i switch persons that I'm working with yes, Um, and that being like almost, those are so tethered Mm -hmm. now and how random control trials are even organized is by presentation of diagnostic criteria.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, I I think that I really like pointing that out that one of the consequences is that we don't know how to handle when a variable shifts that we haven't Mm -hmm. accounted for. that, Well, we haven't ever been trained how to do that. Mm-hmm. Even in our methods of research, it, we're we're now floundering trying to trying to figure that out. So kind of start over. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh no, I need consultation because I need to come in and do a different thing. Mm-hmm. Like, Hold on, like just pay attention, like trust the process because mm-hmm. what you're doing right now is is showing up is showing so many things about the subject their lived experience your lived experience the dynamic between you it's all it's all to be expected these are complex systems relating not simple variables detached from context yeah 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 so when you think about the the topic question of should ebts be standardized what are you thinking as we close our conversation today
1: you know it's a different because we talked just very briefly at the start um, before we started this podcast, and I think I was in a different state. Okay. I was primed differently. Uh-huh. Um, my priming now is to say, like, no.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: just because I, uh, the word standardized is so, uh, to me, very rigid, inflexible. Um, inflexible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, I I was just making sure I heard you right. Yes. Like you were yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um. Very just yeah yeah. It's got guardrails narrowing. Yeah, yeah yeah. Narrowing. Yeah, that's a good word. Um. Do I think that like this is uh, yeah? If I would standardize anything, I would standardize the first session, and then I would be open to the the mediating, moderating, and influencing variables that are coming up, mm-hmm. and then kind of reorganized to an openness that this is going to be a qualitative study of sorts
0: yes a mixed methods design yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah Yeah. and And that's what
0: jackson in the 2015 article that he keeps referencing in this comment he goes back to that that article of what he's noted elsewhere which is that really we need to be talking about if we're going to standardize anything we need to standardize the existence of both and that they are equally powerful and should be used complementarily
1: yeah yeah so then ebt is being standardized like sure as like a starting point right but definitely not as a rigid structure where therapy must like we've talked about like the has to Mm. like therapy should not be a thing that has to fit into the structure of a standardized protocol Mm -hmm. or else we have to find a different protocol or else the client is treatment resistant and therefore cannot be must be contained as just a uh, an organism that is not willing to be influenced by these protocols that are supposed to help. Yeah, um, that just feels utterly dehumanizing. Hmm. Um, but I I am o- I am open to standardization being a part of the process, but not the process. Yeah. I would I would yeah. be curious what you. Yeah, I just think about
0: education. Mm. counselor education so much Um, and that's my doctorate so that makes sense but um, for me I really want us to be cautious with that word because that's not to me that word on its face does not have an integrated connotation in our culture standardized means measurable and if it doesn't fit into the measure you have to be very scrupulous of that data Mm -hmm. where I want us to have so much more of a childlike view um, that this world is filled with mystery and we should work with each other and try and talk as much as we can about how crazy this thing is yeah. that we're experiencing when we're cut off from that community. I think that is really the 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 crux of burnout because yeah. your, your phenomenological abilities will continue to close in their systemic Mm -hmm. integration. Like you become cut off from even your own ability to consider the, what if it's not what I thought it was Mm -hmm. and to stay curious and and creative and spontaneous. Yeah. I really want us to, I mean, and that's really what we're doing here at the Institute. That's what I want us to change in counselor education in in therapy education that we need to like stay playful. Dig deep into science, as deep as you possibly can. Mm. But don't forget to play with it. Don't forget to talk yeah. with each other about it and to really just go crazy with it. Like it, it should be both. And and all the others. Like quantitative and qualitative are not the only methods out there. Mm-hmm. Like there are variants and there are nuances that I, I just want us all to come together around a big table discussion and just honor our own experience and our own leanings or proclivity towards one perhaps not the other but to respect each other Mm -hmm. as you know so much more than i do and i know so much more than you do both things are
1: true at the same time yeah yeah i yeah i I think of like how how often and even the the word I, i like of exemplar how often I notice, and even myself, like it's we we run to exemplars mm-hmm. to hear what they have to say as far as the how authority. they have mm-hmm. yeah how they have in certain methods found information useful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you run to your your neuroscientists, you run to your clinical uh, professionals, you run to like different people, and like I I just like it's so important to dive as deeply into these exemplars information as possible and at the same time realize that they don't have the answer. We were noting, we were talking about, I just recently uh, went to a training Mm -hmm. in which it really felt like this trainer was being burdened with the expectation of some of these Mm -hmm. participants to the identification of exemplar to bear the full weight as an absolute exemplar yes that like she had the answers to everyone's clinical problems Mm -hmm. and you could tell in this training that she was becoming fatigued the more she was asked questions about like what what would you do with this presentation what would you do with that presentation what would you do with this and that and the the burden on her Like eventually she was just like, well, go to these people Mm -hmm. because she was realizing like, I know so much more than you and yet these other people also know so much more than me. Right. And those two things are true at the same time. Exactly. And we have to have unification of these diverse voices Mm -hmm. and these diverse exemplars. Like, you you know, um, uh, someone like, uh, um, oh, who behavioralist, um, What's his name? Oh, Pavlov. Pavlov, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I (laughs) went blank. I wanted to say Piaget, and I was like, come on. Um, (laughs) Learning theory. Yeah. yeah. Um, Someone like Pavlov is a totally different exemplar than Freud. Mm -hmm. They have two totally different methods of inquiry. They're orienting from two totally different theories. Paradigms. Yeah, their paradigms are different. And yet, it's worthwhile to unify them, to see how they are both talking about the same thing, but doing so in different ways that highlight different factors and variables, Yes, it's way more worthwhile to do that than it is to try to squeeze them into a uniform, like what's the one thing they're talking about that we need to just like zoom all the way into and Mm -hmm. forget the rest. Yeah, there's a
0: audio editing tool that I'm thinking of right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's this in video as well, but I think this is a helpful image. There's something called non-destructive editing and destructive editing. Mm. Destructive editing, each adjustment you make deletes what was edited out. Non-destructive keeps it there, but lets you view it or experience it as if it weren't there. Mm. But it's still there. So to me, if we have a non-destructive standardization process, I'm in. I think that's that's the truth of things. We deny, like we omit. (laughs) <laughs> other forms of knowing and other forms of knowledge through de- destructive mm-hmm. standardization uh, where it cuts out and excludes but just as you're saying like a non-destructive unification of freud plus pavlov equals a more full picture yeah of what's really going on that this is a psychologically and biologically driven organism and so we need to pay attention mm-hmm. in both ways. Mm-hmm. In both ways. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. If we zoom in too much, if we focus our attention too much on laboratory-controlled studies and then standardize based on that, yeah, we will miss so much, and we will mislabel people. Yes. We will have to squeeze them in. We will. We will. Um, transfer our experience or lack thereof onto them yeah and then try to fit them into some sort of paradigm which that's the
0: there's there's another which we haven't mentioned yet but there's another paradigm uh distinction between inductive and deductive reasoning yeah what you just mentioned is the inductive fallacy wherein Mm -hmm. we get so fixated on a piece of data that we then induce that wisdom into the larger theory and Mm -hmm. apply it to all yep that can't work. Similarly, the deductive fallacy wherein we're just looking at a theory and we find something that proves it and then that's the truth. That can't be real either. We need that inductive, deductive cycle of research.
1: We need the right to left hemisphere and back to the right to (laughs) keep going. I love that,
0: full circle. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so to your question to me of what would be my answer, I think in a way standardizing EBT's isn't real.
1: Mm.
0: It's not like you can't. It can't be done. You Mm. can convince yourself that that's real and that that now is true and better, quote unquote, but you're missing so much as you do that. Mm. And I think, again, through that hemispheric distinction, as the left hemisphere clutches, it no longer is open. Mm -hmm. It becomes closed and it starts to echo in itself, proving itself. The right hemisphere though open to infinite diversity mm-hmm. but we need both because in that infinite diversity that's chaos i can't yeah. know
1: yeah yeah i mean i think i yeah I, this is where we would if we wanted to we could spin up a lot on just the word standardized because mm-hmm. i would say you're right it's not real and at the same time it is very much real yes Like the fact that we walk into therapy and one person sits on a couch as like a standard. (laughs) Yeah. Sits on a couch, we sit in a chair and we sit across from each other. Yeah. That's a standard. Yes. And in in some way, we've standardized our treatment. The
0: encounter, yeah. Yeah.
1: And yet we are always breaking them because of their limitations and then returning back to a new standard that then is broken and reorganized. Yes. Broken, reorganized. That's what
0: I would like to standardize. Yeah. Is that we're in the we're very used to and anticipating of this certainty and breaking that certainty, certainty, breaking that certainty. And that that's what's standardized. That's mm-hmm. normal.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That feels like a good place. That feels end.
0: like a good place to Ended. land. Very cool. Well, with this, um, release, there's also the coming of polyvagal theory is dead.
1: Ooh, a special little episode. A special release. Spicy episode. That's a five-star title. Five-star spice s- title. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Polyvagal theory is dead. Yes. Keep your ears open for That's that right. episode.
0: That's right. Because it is coming. But thank you all so much for, for hanging in there with us. Um, I know this one was a little bit more conceptual. But philosophical. Yeah. again, it, it's so important as we're consumers of research to be aware of what even is the language that's being shared? How do you organize that language? Where did it come from? So this this thought is out there and I'd love to talk about it any time.
1: <laughs> yeah, the phrase that came to my mind was, we're equal opportunity researchers. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're, we're open to the philosophical and the, yes. well, the qualitative, the quantitative. Diversity affirming. Yep. Like, yep. You know. The comments, the the Official reviews, yep. the meta-analyses, the response equal, to opportunities. Comments, yeah. equal opportunity.
0: Yeah, which the Polyvagal Theory episode notes. Like it, it does. It embodies yeah. all of that. Yes. There yeah. are, yes,
1: love that. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, have a lovely day or night, wherever you are, and whenever yeah. you're listening. Wherever this finds you. Um, and we hope you read with us. But if you don't, enjoy the episode and reach out. We'd love yeah. to hear from you.
0: Yes. Yeah. Take care. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you stay curious and create community around discussing the research that matters most to clinicians and researchers.
1: If you're curious to learn more about something you heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming case conceptualization trainings and community events. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com.
0: If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes. Leave us a review and follow us on social media by searching the Evidence-Based Therapist podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, you might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media.
1: Notice that is an EMDR podcast hosted by EMDR approved consultants and trainers who use EMDR in their practice.
0: Beyond Trauma is an educational podcast on the journey of trauma therapy and what it means to be humans who have been hurt but are learning to recover and grow, living the life we all want of safety and connection. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast
1: that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around
0: you in the stories you hear.